I'm Heather Donaldson, and you're listening to The Road Less Traveled. Hi, Rafe. Hi, hi. My guest today is Rafe Darazi. Rafe is an award-winning bodybuilder who is HIV positive, currently living in West Hollywood. He shares his health and fitness journey and is open about living with his HIV diagnosis on his YouTube channel, where he has inspired many others living with the virus to follow their dreams. Rafe, thank you so much for joining me today. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate it. I want to start at the beginning. Um, I know you have an interesting um, childhood story. So where did you grow up? What did your parents do? Tell me a little bit about that. All right. (laughs) I was born in Utrecht, Netherlands. And about at the age of about four and a half, five years old, my mom took me and basically she fled the country. Um, She was running away from her husband at the time, my biological father, who was in jail for repeatedly physically beating her. And um, she was convinced that if he knew where she was going, he would have her killed and would kidnap me and take me back to Morocco, where he was from. Mm. So came here. No one knew. No one from her family. Completely on her own. No money. Um, To Orange County, where we were living with different families. She was like a live-in nanny, basically. And eventually she met the man who would become my stepfather. And a year later, they got married. And so we lived in Costa Mesa, Huntington. I mean, yeah, Costa Mesa, Huntington area. And that's where I grew up, spent my childhood. Mm -hmm. And what was your childhood like? I mean, messy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to sum it up in a word. Uh, Tumultuous. I... You know, like I said, we didn't have any money. I was in living in Orange County, living in a place like Costa Mesa, Huntington, Newport with no money is makes you stand out. Being the brown kid makes you stand out. Right. Not I had no way to know what the cultural norms were. I didn't fit in. I was the weird kid. I I had to learn English, make new friends. My parents didn't know anybody. So it was it was really rough for a while. Mm-hmm. And um So, and then my stepdad ended up having a problem with alcoholism and depression as well. So, and he was very emotionally distant a lot of the time. And that was very difficult for me because he was basically my dad at this point. He was becoming my dad and I didn't really have him as someone who was like a foundation for me or someone that I could trust. So, um, there was a lot of negative energy in my house. And then at school, I got, I was bullied a lot, was made fun of a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, before I ever even considered being gay or knew what that meant, I was being called faggot and you name it. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of, um, I would say mental issues now looking back. It took me a while to realize it, but I had a lot of very like, for, I'll give you an example. I, if I had to go to the restroom, like in junior high, if I had to go pee, I wouldn't go. I would hold it for no reason just just that I didn't want to go if I had to go number two I would hold it I would hold it until I couldn't hold it anymore and it was starting to um I was starting to dirty my underwear and I would sit in it and I wouldn't clean it and would you what do you think why do you think that was looking back you think it was just you were depressed or you were anxious or I definitely I there definitely a lot of anxiety 
which mm-hmm. I had grown accustomed to. So it seemed normal to me. Mm-hmm. But I think the root of it all was that I, ju- I simply didn't have any self-worth whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And so how did that manifest itself in your teenage years? So, and the, the, the irony of what I'm telling you is that on the other side of that, people, when they were introduced to me, they knew me as this happy, optimistic, smiley, bubbly, creative, like great kid, like all the teachers and any adults that would meet me, they'd be like, there's something really like special about that boy and really happy. And he has like a spark and a a life to him that's different from everybody else. But at the same time, (laughs) but that's not how you were feeling. No, but that's what I aspire to. It was like my fantasy. Mm -hmm. Um, And going into my teenage years, I think that is when I really started to come to terms with everything I had been through. I remember distinctly sitting in history class and learning about the Holocaust and these atrocities that have happened in our history. And I just had this like moment where I don't, I don't know why I'm getting emotional right now. That's okay. <laughs> but this facade I had created for myself that the world is this beautiful, magical, like Disney fairy tale place just came shattering down. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, that's when I finally had to like confront, okay, like people aren't inherently these divine, amazing, beautiful creatures, like they're flawed and they have issues and there's, there's so much darkness as well. And Hey, I happen to have a lot of that inside of me and I have to start dealing with it. And I didn't know how, and it was like a huge tidal wave of just stuff that I hadn't dealt with. And so I fell into a pretty, pretty deep, hard depression around like 15, 16 years old, I started, you know, doing drugs and I wasn't hanging out with the punk kids and the goth kids. And it got so bad that at some point I just didn't know what to do. I think it was a cry for help, but I ended up overdosing on a bunch of pills. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember distinctly the next day <laughs> I was going to my first job. It was pickup sticks. <laughs> and I went up to the manager and I was like, I think I need to go to the hospital because I OD'd. I don't feel well. (laughs) Your first day on the job. She was so annoyed. She's like, are you serious? Awesome. Like, really? She's like, okay, just go, just go. I was like, okay. So I went and then I ended up being committed to a mental hospital for about a week Uh and put on watch. And how, what was that experience like? Um, have you ever seen the movie Girl Interrupted? Yes, I have. <laughs> it's basically that summed, summed up in a week. Mm-hmm. It was it was harrowing. It was there was different cliques. There was different kinds of crazy. Uh, I was I was at the, that point like resistant to everyone and everything. So I had shut down internally, and I was just staring at the wall, not doing anything. Mm-hmm. So the people who worked there decided it would be best for me to put me in a situation where I had to come out of my shell. And the way that they did that was they put me in the same room as the two worst offenders there. The two crazy, crazy they ones. Were, yeah. Yeah. Like they were like out to get people. Their previous um, <laughs> occupant in the middle of the night, they had urinated on him while he was sleeping <laughs> and they had, um, put something from their bodily fluids inside of a shampoo bottle so that when he shampooed his hair, it would be all up in his hair. Oh, yeah. Nice. 
So I knew as soon as I was put in that room that I had to do, I had to survive at that point. I was like, I, I gotta, I have to befriend them so that I don't get destroyed in here. <laughs> and I, I did, I did exactly that. I came out of my shell and I decided to plot things with them and I kind of got in trouble with them and I started to have fun. And that's when I started to rehabilitate, ironically. <laughs> <laughs> so after you got out of that, um, what happened then? What what you at some point you you probably realized you were gay right because you came out when you were 18 so how how did that all happen so yeah so well leading up to that after i went left that hospital i realized okay this obviously this state of being is not sustainable no and i had just been recommended referred by a friend to join the drama department at the high school and I was like, oh, really? Acting? Like, I'd never really considered it, I guess. Yeah, I'll check it out. And I fell in love instantly. And I happened to be good, too. Mm-hmm. And so I joined the program, and I was immediately put into leading roles. And it was so time-consuming with rehearsals that I couldn't both do drama and also keep up my lifestyle with my punk friends and smoke weed and drink and all that. So I had to choose. And I chose the thing that made me really happy, which was acting. Mm-hmm. And um, so acting saved your life. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Performing. Mm-hmm. And I was always a performer as a kid. I would, I remember, <laughs> I think it was first grade when that Billy Ray Cyrus song, Icky Breaky Heart, came out. I got my best friend at the time, Fabby, and I was like, let's choreograph a dance to this and like lip sync it and then we'll get the teachers to watch at recess so like i choreographed a whole thing and then we we performed the song and i i would regularly with the neighborhood kids when i was in junior high get the neighborhood kids together and i would choreograph dances to nsync and backstreet boys and spice girls and then we'd put on shows so i was always like very creative and awesome and very performance oriented um but so the drama kids a lot of them were very very christian and went to church every week and so I fell into that too. And it seemed to answer all the questions that I had and seemed to give me purpose and really just made so much sense at the time. Now, of course, once I graduated high school and I came to terms with the fact that I was gay, I had to somehow make sense of that too. And the first person I told was someone who was mentoring me in the church. And she, she I remember her telling me right away, okay, well, you're not a bad person for this and it's okay, but you don't have to be gay and you don't (laughs) have to, you don't have to live that way and you can change it. So you're not a bad person, but you're a bad person. (laughs) (laughs) You're not a bad person, but like change everything about who you are. Great. Yeah, totally. So she referred me to another pastor who started a a weekly discipleship with me where I basically had to abstain from any kind of sexual activities, even solo, um, read Bible scriptures and meditate on certain things. Sorry. This is what we hear about, right? What is it called? Oh yeah. These camps. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. I, but I was doing it solo, just like in the middle of orange County. So weird. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't until about six months later when I started to get, really really depressed again and it reminded me of the time in my teens when I got really depressed and I I knew in my gut this is wrong 
I mean, if you weren't confused already, that oh. therapy did just made you even more confused. Are you kidding? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So hard. So, yeah. So what happened then? When did you decide that you were going to not do that anymore? And So it was after about six months and I was getting really depressed again. And simultaneously, I'm doing, you know, theater at the church. All my friends are Christian. I'm get, being groomed to go to a private Christian university in Costa Mesa. The head of the department wants me so badly, and I'm already doing shows over there. I'm not even a student. Um, so I was stepdad. And we didn't have a lot of close moments, but this is something that we really connected on. I told him that I'm getting really depressed, and it's not really working. And he said, well, if it's not making you happy, then why do it? Mm-hmm. And he's like, I, I support you either way. So that was what really pushed me to, to make the decision not to do the discipleship anymore and to just embrace who I am. And at that point, my pastor said, well, you know, you need a pastoral reference to go to this university. And I'm going to have to put in the reference that you are willfully living in sin. So <laughs> come, what, come what may. Yeah. So I, needless to say, I, was no, I no longer was allowed to do theater at the church. I lost a lot of my Christian friends and I was rejected from the Christian university. Sorry, I don't mean to laugh, but no, it's, it's totally laughable. To me. It's, it's totally laughable. Absurd. Um, okay, so, yeah. so then what? So then you went to school at UCLA then, right? You changed your trajectory a little bit. Yeah, I went to community college in Orange County for a few years. And then my br- I had such a hard time in school. And I, I know it's a result of everything else, too. I was never a good student. I'm, I was always considered very intelligent and very capable and very good when I was in class, when I showed up. But as far as sitting down and doing homework and being responsible, it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So I, it took me, I did three, four years at a community college and barely had enough credits to transfer. And my counselor was like, don't don't shoot for UCLA. Like you're not, you're just not going to get in. Just let's look at all these other schools. And I said, no, that's the only one I want to go to actually. And I want to go for theater. Mm -hmm. So uh, the day came when I had to audition and they loved me. And I had, fortunately they have an interview process as well. And I was able to tell them my story and I think they saw something in that and something in my openness that they knew would translate into my acting and believed in me, fortunately. Mm-hmm. So they allowed me to join their general theater program. And then it, this is so funny because it harkens back to when I was a kid doing, you know, dance routines for my parents. But oh, I just I was so jealous of the kids who, who got to take dance classes every day and singing classes and be musical theater. It was a class of only like 12, I think. And so I started taking just dance classes on the side and I would practice outside of the theater department. And one day, one of the heads of the department said, how come you're not in musical theater? And I said, I I didn't audition because I would have never gotten in. And he goes, I need you to go audit the dance class. Go talk to this professor of dance. I need you to go to the singing department and talk to this professor and go audit there and we'll get you in. And he, he made it happen. Awesome. So, so, yeah. Yeah. So grateful for that. So did you, 
I'm going to change the subject here a little bit. Do I'm, it. I'm going to fast forward. Um, recent, well, relatively recently, mm-hmm. you found out that you were HIV positive. Um, I want to talk about what was happening in your life or at that time, what symptoms you had that eventually led you to seek out a doctor. Okay. Yeah. At the time I was in a, it was about three and a half years of a monogamous committed relationship with a guy living together. And at first I started to get just mild symptoms like general sense of fatigue. And I didn't really know why. And, um, body aches. I was sort of working out. Not really. Like I, I didn't know how to bench press or deadlift or squat or anything like that, but I was doing general like machine work. So I didn't, but I wasn't making any gains in muscle. And I thought that was kind of funny. Um, I was also losing weight. Mm-hmm. And then I remember sometimes at work, I, I was serving in a restaurant and I would just get bouts of vertigo for like 20 to 30 minutes out of nowhere. And I thought, wow, I don't know, maybe I'm not getting all the nutrients and vitamins I need or something's up, but it was just like, okay, whatever, you know, I'm getting older and I'm, I got, I got to deal with new things. Um, yeah. And how old were you? <laughs> I was like 24. Yeah. You're getting older. <laughs> okay. Go, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, and then I started to get other like symptoms, like I would get these itchy bumps on my knees and my elbows. And I remember when I was in my teens, I had gotten scabies because I stayed over at a friend's house mm-hmm. in their guest bed and someone else had been in that bed and had scabies. So like it were these mites that were in my skin and it was the exact same reaction that I was getting then. So I thought maybe having had that in the past triggered something in my body that I was just always going to have a sensitivity with that. So I just kind of wrote that off and I'm like, okay, great. This sucks, but whatever it's life, you know, you develop things. And then I started to get a rash on my palms and uh, my feet around the, the edges of my palms and my feet. And it was like red and bubbly and it was like clear liquid that would get filled in, filled inside. And I didn't have health insurance. I couldn't just go. I didn't know how to go see a doctor. I didn't have any money. I, and it wasn't something that was so bad that I had to go to like the emergency room or something. So I kind of just wrote it off and didn't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't really until I noticed that I had these sensitive lumps under my armpits. And then I noticed that I had some enlarged lumps under my chin. And then I noticed that I had them at the base of my neck behind my, behind my neck. And then I started to notice it behind my ears. I was like, Whoa, like (laughs) (laughs) my, these are my lymph nodes and they're really, really swollen. And I don't know why I have horns. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, getting HIV AIDS was probably one of my biggest fears in life up to that point. So yeah, it crossed my mind. But at the same time, I thought when I started this relationship with my ex, I had gotten tested for HIV and it was negative. Yeah, I could have been tested in the window where it doesn't show up, but 
I'm, I'm thinking, what are the chances of that? Mm-hmm. And also, come to find out later, he was cheating, but uh, there was no way for me to know that mm-hmm. at the time. And I didn't suspect it. So, I just, well, and I have, still didn't do anything. And you have, like, pretty benign symptoms, if I can defend you here yeah. a little bit. Um, you know, a, a rash is not an emergency right a little fatigue is something people may feel from time to time for various reasons it's just might not be the first thing that comes to your mind you know totally so and it's expensive if you don't have health insurance so yeah exactly and i was making like 60 70 dollars a lunch shift at a restaurant yeah yeah exactly so um and then the, the final thing that really pushed me over the edge was I, my throat started to get really, really, really sore. And I had a, I had a, an actual sore in the back of my throat mm. and my, my uh, tonsils seemed to be enlarged and it was painful. So initially I thought it was strep throat because I had some other like, fl- like flu-like symptoms that went along with it. Mm-hmm. And then it would go away after about two weeks and then it would come again, back again. And I'm like, oh my God, what is happening? Like, I can't go through this. And my ex, his dad is a doctor, so he was able to get him to prescribe me some, you know, I think it's called like Z-Pak or something like that. Yeah. So he prescribed me that. I took it. It worked right away. I was so thankful. Okay, we're done with that. And then sure enough, two, three weeks later, it came right back. And I'm like, okay, something is really, really wrong. And I have to go. That was the point where I'm like, I have to see a doctor. I got to figure it out. And I did a bunch of Google scouring and found some crazy small program here in LA. It was called Healthy Way LA. I don't even know if it exists anymore, but I signed up for I it. I think it did. I know that it did at least you four heard years it. ago. Yes, I have. Yeah. Yeah. And the lady I signed up with was like, how did you even hear about this program? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I found it online. She's like, oh, okay. Well, good for the you. The interweb. Yeah, yeah I know. Um, and then do you want me to go into, yeah, so you found a doctor obviously, or you, um, made an appointment and what did they do at the appointment? You you described your symptoms, obviously Yeah. they swabbed your mouth probably. Yep. Swabbed my mouth. She's like, let's check for STDs. She's like, it's probably, I think she said like gonorrhea or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, yeah, great. Let's get it done. And then. She said, come back next week. I did. It was like, a, I remember it was a long wait. It was like seven, eight hours of just waiting because it was at County Hospital. Oh, yeah. I come in and I remember like we had kind of had it created a, a little rapport the week before. We were joking with each other and both really like optimistic, energetic people. And I come in and I'm like ready to start joking with her. And she just was straight to business. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, OK, cool. Yeah. She's having a rough, rough day. And I remember her staring. This is going to get me emotional again. Fuck. <laughs> she was staring at her uh, computer monitor. And she inhaled deeply and exhaled. And without looking at me, she said, you're HIV positive. Mm-hmm. And then she turned to look at me. And then I just lost it. I, re- you know, You know in movies where they do that effect where the camera just kind of it's a weird lens effect where it like zooms out and it becomes like a tunnel. Yeah. 
That's exactly what happened. And was that and, your um, was that your birthday, or was it? No, it was that was the week before my birthday. It was the week before your birthday. Yeah. So she left the room. She's like, "I'm gonna give you ten minutes to just do what you got to do. Call someone, cry." Yeah. I did. And then she came back and she's like, "Okay, well, listen, you're gonna you're gonna be okay. We're gonna." We're going to have you go over to the HIV center next week for your follow-up appointment so we can get more details on, on the HIV diagnosis. And I remember her disclaimering, don't be alarmed because you're going to see a lot of really, really sick people that don't look good, mm -hmm. but don't pay them any mind. And I'm like, okay, sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're, you're going to see people at all stages of the disease at that appointment. Right. Yeah. 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 And I don't know anything about it at this point. So I'm, I'm thinking, great, I'm going to die in probably two, three years of AIDS mm -hmm. as it progresses. And so um, what happened at your follow-up appointment? What, <laughs> what did you do? So I came, it's my birthday. Happy birthday. My 26th birthday. I know. Right. Happy birthday. 26th birthday. Go figure. I go into the waiting room, like the little individual room as I'm waiting for the doctor. And the nurse comes in. He's this like six foot five, huge, burly guy with tattoos, piercings, just rough looking. <laughs> and he's like, hey, you know why you're here, right? And I go, uh, yeah, because I have HIV. And he goes, you got full blown, full blown AIDS, man. And then just walks out. And you probably had no idea what that meant at that point. I or maybe I you... knew that that meant I was going to die a lot sooner than I thought I, I, I was. Right. Right. That's what that meant to me. And so then the doctor came in and hopefully had a better <laughs> delivery. <laughs> she came in. She was so sweet. Her name was Rochelle Rawls. She was such a sweetheart. Like um, this just loving maternal black woman who just the first thing she did was gave me a big hug mm. and um, asked me, realized it was my birthday and she teared up. She knew I was, uh, had done musical theater. So she's like, she made me sing happy birthday. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> and we both cried. <laughs> and then at some point the doors open, right? The nurse walks by pops his head in and he goes dude oh my god i'm so sorry i didn't know it was your birthday i'm so sorry and then walks off he probably shouldn't have said that if in it the first place your birthday <laughs> yeah i found out later he was kind of a little mentally unstable <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but she you know reassured me she started the process of telling me that it's not what i think it is that the medicine has come a long way and that I am going to be, I am going to live for a long time. So I just want to interject here for a second because um, I am a nurse and mm -hmm. I do want to talk about the difference between HIV and AIDS. Um, yep. So typically an AIDS diagnosis is given to somebody who, who has a compromised immune system and is living with the virus. And what that means is they have an opportunistic infection um, which can manifest in many different types of infections or mm -hmm. a CD4 count less than 200. Now, those are very 
technical <laughs> things. Yeah. What What was your experience? Did you was your CD four count low? Yeah, my CD four count was one sixty nine. Okay, so less than two hundred. And mm-hmm, and my viral load was at fifty two thousand, which is very high. So that yeah, which means that there's fifty two thousand copies of the virus per m- milliliter. No yeah. yeah. Uh, so these are important things when we're talking about HIV and AIDS. These are important markers when you go for follow-up um, appointments. Yeah. Um, they take blood samples to measure your CD4 count and your viral load. So yep. management of the virus is trying to keep the viral load down and the CD4 mm-hmm. count up. Um, yeah. So that being said, um, what is your treatment regimen like? What do you have to do to manage your virus? Today, I take one pill once a day, and that's literally it Mm -hmm. for me. Do you have any side effects? What is the medication that you take? Currently, I'm prescribed Genvoya. Mm -hmm. Um, It sounds really hip and cool, like a Generation Voyage or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, my doctor recently switched me to another one. It's the newest one. It's called Victarvi. Mm-hmm. Um, both of them, I have no side effects, but he's saying that with the Victarvi, the benefit is that there's less chance that say, if I forgot to take the pill for a few days and the HIV had a, a chance to kind of reactivate, there's less of a chance that in that period, it's going to be able to create a resistance to the drug. Okay. So um, I'm going to interject here again. So mm-hmm. the treatment for HIV is um, HIV is um, a, ret- a retroviral um, virus, a retrovirus. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what they use is an antiretroviral therapy. So the acronym yeah. for that is ART. And that usually is a combination of three or more medications, Mm -hmm. which now they have combined to be taken in one pill. Back in the day when this therapy was just starting to come around, people were taking a lot more medications than they are today. Uh Also, (laughs) coyly referred to as a cocktail. Right. A cocktail. Exactly. It is. It's the art cocktail. Um, So... How? At the time, oh, my, I can tell you my medication was, it's, it's changed a lot in just the six years since I was diagnosed. My, the first medication I got, it was called a tripla mm-hmm. and it wreaked havoc on me. Mm-hmm. I had dizzy spells. I would have extremely vivid dreams. I would wake up and my whole body would be vibrating and I would be seeing things and I would, um, I would feel like I was tripping out in the middle of the night. I would then during the day I'd wake up and I, it felt like there was a, a fog in my brain. I could never fully like think clearly. And it, it got to the point where my doctor, Rochelle, she said, you need to stop drinking because you're drinking way too much. And I can see it in your liver. And I go, Rochelle, I don't drink. Mm-hmm. And she's like, okay, well you have the liver of an alcoholic right now. So that means it's the medication that's doing it. And we need to take you off right away. Mm-hmm. And so you change to a different medication. Mm-hmm. And then I'm True sure bottle. as the yeah. medications evolve, they're always changing. and They're getting better and better every day. Yeah. Um, one thing I do know about um, art therapy is that it's important to take it at the same time every day. 
and Mm -hmm. to not miss a dose. And if you're diagnosed to take it, you know, as soon as you possibly can start. Yeah. And I also know I would like to touch a little bit on viral load because I think that um, there is a misconception that if you have HIV, you can spread it to just anyone all the time. And um, actually, I just printed from the CDC today that uh, this is the exact verbiage. People living with HIV who take HIV medication as prescribed and get and keep an undetectable viral load have effectively no risk of transmitting HIV to their HIV negative sexual partners. Absolutely. Watershed moment. Yeah. So that means that if your viral load is suppressed, you could potentially have unprotected sex with somebody who doesn't have HIV and have mm-hmm. no risk of spreading that virus. I'm not okay. advocating that behavior, but I'm saying right. that is a scientific fact. Yes, absolutely. World World Health Organization has t- signed on to that too. Mm-hmm. It's an international movement. U equals U. Absolutely. So the most important thing is to take your medication. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk a little bit now about how this diagnosis changed your life. What happened after that diagnosis happened? <laughs> so my immune system actually turned around fairly quickly, relatively speaking. I would say in about six to nine months, I was on the up and up and I was doing really, really well. My viral load, I think may have been undetectable at that point, which is where you want it to be mm-hmm. so that you're no, no longer transmittable. And my CD4 count was a little slower to get up, but that's not as big of a deal. And what happened was about a year later, I went to one of those trampoline parks. Mm-hmm. And within the first 15 minutes of being there, I was trying to do front flips. <laughs> and I had done two and they were okay. And I'm like, this third one, I'm going to get it. I'm going to stick the landing and it's going to be fire. So, <laughs> unfortunately, instead of jumping in the center of the trampoline, I was like, I need more room to, to make the, 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 the jump. To make this so fire happen. <laughs> yeah. I went to the edge of the trampoline and I jumped so hard, went up, I flipped. I, my feet were coming down perfectly, but Unfortunately, I was coming down on the other end of the trampoline where it has the least amount of give. Mm. So as I came down, my body just kept going towards my feet and it couldn't take the impact. And my right ankle gave my uh, fibula split at the end. It fractured. Mm -hmm. And then my tibia was displaced about half an inch away from it. And I just tore up all kinds of things. Those are the two long bones in the lower part of the leg for anybody that doesn't know. Yeah. (laughs) Near the ankle. (laughs) It was really bad. Ouch. So you had fire. You had fire in your ankle. I I achieved it. Yeah. Hey, I landed it. (laughs) Um, And then I was put into a porcelain cast for, for months. And I was out of, out of work for five months. I couldn't pay my car payment. I was still with my ex at this point who also received an AIDS diagnosis. And so I was completely dependent on him. Mm-hmm. My car got taken away. I wasn't working. Um, I had um, other bills and stuff that were just racking up debt. And 
I was screwed essentially. So I was very fortunate that he was there for me for that. Um, so, but I had to do a lot of soul searching during that time. And I had a lot of time by myself every day. And there were some things that really, really helped me. For example, that, that film, The Secret, mm. you've heard of it, Law of Attraction. Mm-hmm. I've seen it. And then the publishing house, Hay House, mm-hmm. has a lot of spiritual, metaphysical, and self-improvement books, authors. And I, I just delved into it. I read everything. I, I, I was journaling. I, was, I had like a gratitude journal. I was creating vision boards, affirmations. I was listening to audio books, just everything I could to like heal, not just my leg, but this part of me that I felt was still broken inside too. Um, the thing I hadn't told you was that right after my diagnosis, I found out that my ex at the time had been cheating on me. Mm-hmm. I found, I came back from, I did a web series for like five days. And when I came back, I noticed a receipt that was under the bed, that had fallen under the bed for uh, a sex shop called Pleasure Chest. <laughs> I think I've yeah. been there. <laughs> yeah. I despise the place because of the association, but, <laughs> and it was a receipt for poppers. Mm. And he had mentioned poppers before, like if we wanted to incorporate it into our sex lives and I had no, no interest. What are poppers? I don't know what poppers are. So it's, it's a um, smelling, smelling uh, like liquid that just kind of makes you high for 20 seconds, maybe. Oh, okay. Yeah. Weird. They and you just do it while you're having sex. It's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> but so I knew it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. And then I, did a bunch of digging and I just found out he was all over all over the internet doing all kinds of nasty things Mm. and so by the time I had healed my leg and I had gone through all this you know change inside I was like I can't I mean I didn't have my job back or anything yet and I was still not stable but I was like I can't just continue to, to live off this person who I have no respect for anymore so I broke it off and I had to find a place to live. I, I, I lived in a, in a room the size of a closet for $400 a month in the Valley. And I was taking the bus everywhere, trying to get my job back, trying to get money, trying to f- figure out how to get a car. And I was starting all over from scratch. That must have been a pretty low point in a way. Um, it was very low, but at the same time, it was very liberating. Yeah. Because it was the first time I was completely independent. I, I feel there's a, a saying and I'm, I'm not quite sure if I'm going to say it right, but um, it's with every great tragedy comes the opportunity for great triumph. I'm not even sure who wrote totally. it, but um, I wonder if that's how you feel regarding. Oh, it was a blessing in disguise. My, my AIDS diagnosis was, I mean, God, the universe, whoever they had tried whispering in my ear, they had tried the pat on the back. They had tried giving me a little slap on the cheek and I didn't listen. So that was finally like throwing me off the cliff and being like, wake the F up and change your life. Cause you're just coasting. You're just on autopilot. You're not really committing to anything. So get it together. And what did you do to get it together? How did you, how did you turn it around? Because obviously <laughs> right now you're in a very different place. Yeah. For, for a while, the theme was work work really really hard develop a work ethic develop develop discipline 
learn how to take care. It was the basics. Learn how to take care of yourself and to care about yourself and to pay your bills and to not be dependent on anyone. So I was working, there was a point where I was working two jobs and I was working 30, 31 days straight doubles and then taking like a day off and then continuing right on. I was like crying in my car because I was so overworked. And, but, but it was, I felt so alive at the same time. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. It felt so good to, to do that for myself and to pull myself out of the rut and do whatever it took. So I did that for like four or five months until I really got it and valued that. And then once that happened, then I started to um, kind of have an interest in my creative side again. Mm-hmm. And then part of, part of that was I was working out at LA Fitness and this guy, huge burly bodybuilder, kind of like pulled me up out of the lineup. And was like, hey, you, (laughs) have you ever considered like doing some personal training? And and I said, oh, you know, sure. Like, why not? I don't know how to do anything. I don't know besides use machines. So he really gave me the basis of how to really work out properly. And then eventually he's like, I see a lot of potential in you. You should consider doing competitive bodybuilding. And I said, "Uh, you know, it's not really my thing. And I'm more into performing and, and acting. And he said, well, you know, it can absolutely lead to that because you'll get exposure, you'll be working on yourself, and it could lead to modeling and acting and all kinds of things. And so that that put a light bulb in my head. And I was like, let me go with this because life is kind of nudging me in this direction. And it felt right. Mm -hmm. And so then you started training. Yeah. And And I fell in love. And then when did you decide that you wanted to enter a competition? So I had I had fallen in love with someone um and it didn't work out and I oh and love was, I know <laughs> surprise <laughs> and it, I didn't handle it well at all I the gym became my solace and it was the thing that I looked forward to every single day where I could go obliterate myself for two maybe three hours until the point where I was so exhausted that I I didn't have energy even have energy to have anxiety or be down I just would fall asleep after and go to bed and um because of that because I was so obsessed I was making so much improvement and doing really well and then my coach was like it's time like let's get you ready for a competition and I I he told me that there's natural competitions so that means no performance enhancing drugs they do this one that I the, my first one, they did a polygraph as well, as well as urinalysis. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Cool, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and then I, I went and I placed first in the novice category, second in the open category, which was really great. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, I've just been doing it since then. I've, I recently went pro in the natural league. Awesome. So yeah. what oper- let's talk about the difference between the type of working out you were doing before and the type of working out you're doing now. Um, because anybody who has seen you knows that you're ripped. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. So what are you doing that's different? Well, before I was doing, I was, I didn't know, really know what I was doing. I was just going up to each machine and being like, okay, let me do my arms and now let me do this little chest machine thing. And then 
let me turn the levers on this guy and this looks fun. And let me go on the elliptical for like 30 minutes. And that was it. Now I'm doing hypertrophy training, which is specifically for gaining muscle size. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like mm, between eight to 12 reps a set and about three sets for exercise. I've got, I've got my workout regimen split by body parts. So I'll do like chest on a day and then I'll do triceps and then I'll do back biceps. And I have a very strict supplement regimen. Um, and also, I like I said before, I didn't know how to, I've never, I had never bench pressed in my life. I had never squatted in my life and I had never deadlifted. And that's considered the holy trinity of, of working out, of bodybuilding. And I had never even done it ever. So he, he helped me. My coach helped me learn how to do that. And yeah. So like lifting free weights made a big change and lifting heavy weights. Yeah. Not as many reps, um, heavier weight, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I learned how to, it really is, I mean, it sounds kind of cliche, but it's not just about working out your body when you go to the gym. You're working out your mind and pain tolerance and really going to a place where you're pushing past mental barriers where you your your mind is telling you okay i'm done i can't this is it this is too much this is too painful this is too hard stop what you're doing and you resist that and say no i've got another three reps i'm gonna push through even if i have to like make sound and and crinkle up my face like and then when i'm done i'm not gonna die i can do it (laughs) yeah if you're doing it right you have proper form and proper alignment then you're not going to die. You're just, your muscle's going to burn, but that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, what's, what types of supplements do you take and how, um, I recently watched one of your YouTube episodes where you talked with your doctor about the supplements that you take. Um, mm-hmm. and that actually made me super happy <laughs> because I oh, think yeah? sometimes people think that vitamins and supplements are not you know, medications. And I always think that if you're under uh, medical care that you should be, you know, discussing all of everything that you're putting into your body, even diet with your doctor. Um, So what types of supplements do you take? What's successful for you? (laughs) Currently, and it's a little bit more, you know, complex just because I I bodybuild, but I have my multivitamin. Mm -hmm. I have uh, fish oil capsules that I take. There's a natural herbal testosterone booster slash estrogen reducer that I take. Mm-hmm. Um, vitamin D on the side, D3. I take a B complex, uh, glucosamine for joints, mm-hmm. creatine. For muscle take, size. Mm-hmm. I take ZMA, which is zinc and magnesium. Mm-hmm. And that was, um, that was one of the things that the doctor had mentioned could have an interaction with the medication was, I think it's the magnesium, but it has to be like high doses and nobody really takes that much generally. Mm -hmm. And so if you take it on the other side of the day that you take the medication, then there's really no interaction and it's fine. And of course I take whey protein, pre-workout and BCAAs, amino acids, and a post workout. <laughs> <laughs> all all of the all the supplements. You know, just just the basics. <laughs> and um, do you feel like there's obviously there's a lot of pressure in 
that industry, like fitness and fitness modeling to look a certain way, not only your body, but your face. And I know that you recently did fillers because you did share that on your YouTube channel. And so I'm wondering, first of all, how do you like the results? (laughs) I'm Oh, I'm over the moon with the results. Awesome. My guy's brilliant. His name is Ross Callahan. And he, he, yeah. He's just a master at his craft. (laughs) And Um, do you feel like there's a lot of pressure for you or are you okay with it? How do you deal with all that? Honestly, it's, it wasn't, I would say it was 90% just from doing it for myself because I wanted it. Mm -hmm. And 10% maybe pressure because of my agent, my fitness modeling agent was like, but she even, the the irony is, so I went to a photo shoot and the first thing she says to me is, are you, t- are you tired? Did you get enough sleep? <laughs> okay. Cause you look a little like under the eyes and I go, no, honestly, that's just my face. You're like, this is my baseline. <laughs> this is me well rested. And I have these perma, not just bags, but line like sagging skin under the bags that just look not very good on, on, on camera. <laughs> and so I told her, I was like, maybe I, sh- I, I kind of want to get fillers. And she's like, don't do it. Don't get fillers. No. It'll go wrong. It was bad. I did it and it, it went terribly wrong and don't do it. Just don't mess with your face. Don't get Botox. Don't do any of it. And so I was like, okay, so I did it anyway. And it looks really good. Okay. Sorry. Bye. <laughs> like, okay. But I'm getting them anyway. Yeah. yeah. And then, so you're doing fitness modeling now and you have an agent mm-hmm. and you also are, are, you know, performing in these competitions. Um, yeah. But you have a day job or a night job, right? So what do you do? Yeah, I bartend for a restaurant. Uh, It's on the border of Beverly Hills and West Hollywood called The District. Mm -hmm. And I do that full time, five five nights a week. So how do you make time for all of this? Well, I don't really have a social life. Uh So I pretty much my routine is I get up in the morning. I fasted. I'll go to the gym and work out for two hours, come home, eat, uh, take care of whatever errands I need to do, get ready, go to work, work all night, come home, sleep and repeat. Mm. And then in between, when I have a few hours here and there, I'll record videos, vlogs, I'll edit, I'll do any of the other creative stuff that I'm trying to do outside of just my survival job. So I did watch an episode of yours where you were talking about you feel lonely sometimes um, yeah. because you're just hustling hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Um, how do you, how do you deal with that? It's- so that, that, that's, that's a really, really tough one for me actually. And I, and I know that has to do with my childhood and my upbringing and a lot of past hurt, mm-hmm. but I, and I'm actually, kind of post this video tomorrow it's my latest vlog video but it's about the fact that I have abandonment issues mm-hmm. and because of that I feel like I I feel like I can't be alone and like I'm I'm gonna die or like I'll get incredible anxiety um, so because of that I've had very very needy codependent relationships with people mm-hmm. my whole life and so I'm consciously working against that and to try to grow and heal that wound so that it's not an issue. But in the meantime, I do, I do suffer here and there, but I've definitely done a lot of things like 
affirmations are huge for me. If I'm in bed in the middle of the night and I've got anxiety because I feel alone and I don't have someone to cling to, I, I will, I will say an affirmation. One that I do lately is, um, I was half asleep when I came up with it. I don't know how I came up with it, but it was, um, shoot. (laughs) Um, I'm surrounded by people who love me, support me and know my true worth. That's and for some reason that just put me at ease and I just repeated it over and over and over and over dozens of times until I fell asleep. And I'll do it every time now if I start to feel like anxiety boil up. That's a good affirmation. I like that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you were talking about recently the fact that you haven't had sex for over 20 months. Um, <laughs> You're just pulling out all the good stuff yeah exactly well that's what this is for (laughs) (laughs) yep so uh tell me a little bit about that decision and how it's going for you speaking of feeling lonely (laughs) yeah so i think i think one of the things that you said um was that you felt like um sometimes these sexual encounters that you would have were only for affection because you wanted the affection. Like what you wanted wasn't really the sex. It was the affection and that you felt like um, you were more interested in, in a relationship. And if you couldn't have that, then you weren't interested. Yeah. I I wanted intimacy. Mm -hmm. And so I was almost like a drug where I'd get it in these small doses. But afterwards I would either feel hollow inside because I'm just parting ways with this person and that's it. Or I would develop an emotional attachment because of it. Not necessarily because we were right for each other, but just because we shared this very intimate thing. And then that would cause me damage too. So it just wasn't right for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you made a decision to just, I mean, how is this going to end? <laughs> <laughs> this is going to end. <laughs> Um, How many dates do you have to go on, you think? How many? Five, three? Who knows? (laughs) For the universe to know and me to find out. But I'm really not even going on dates, to be honest. I'm not really pursuing anything at the moment. I'm just trying, trying so hard. It's so counter my intuition. I mean, not my intuition, but what I'm used to, Mm -hmm. to just focus on me. And being okay with that and putting all my energy into creative good stuff. And I'm open to it, absolutely, but I'm not actively seeking it. So if the right person just comes into your life, then you will break your streak of celibacy. I, I would. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> if if we were, you know, somewhat regularly dating, seeing each other. Yeah. Yeah. So because I'm looking for I'm looking for a relationship and the thing that about the, especially about the gay community I've noticed is that hooking up is very prevalent. But when I talk to guys one-on-one, a lot of them are like, I don't enjoy hooking up. I, I'm not into it. And they've kind of, they want the same thing. They want to be in a loving, committed relationship, but there's no role models for that. Mm-hmm. They don't see it in media. So they feel like at a loss, like they've given up hope. This is just the way. This is the way it the is. The gay community works. Yeah. yeah, 
and this is just what we have to do. And then hopefully you run into someone else who is hooking up with guys and then you guys just decide out of thin air to suddenly become monogamous and committed and to never want to hook up again. Mm -hmm. And it's just a recipe for disaster. So you're... And I just think it's sad that people buy into that and you don't have to. So I'm trying to be an example of that. So you're trying to be an example of, you know, living your life the way that you want to live your life, not the yeah. way that... With integrity. Yeah. Which is not to say everybody's value system is different, right? So Absolutely. if this wasn't causing you emotional damage to go hook up with people, it would be okay mm-hmm. for you. 100%. And I support anyone who is completely at peace with that. But I'm specifically speaking to people who are at odds with how they feel and what they think. And they're behaving at odds with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what's on the horizon for you, Rafe? I'm kind of wrapping up now, but okay. I want I want to know <laughs> what you're doing now and what you are projecting into the future. So I will continue bodybuilding for sure. Um, my the the federation that I compete for, INBA, also PNBA is the pro version, but they have their own Olympia in Vegas every year. So I'm thinking about competing for that next year. That's the goal right now. I just want to put on as much muscle as I can. Mm-hmm. I am hoping to continue moving forward with my fitness modeling agency. They also work a lot with social media influencers, mm-hmm. and I'm doing a, a big push on social social media now especially with youtube i'm posting videos every two weeks it's really starting to pick up for example if you if you search for hiv on, on youtube mm-hmm. there was probably a week a week ago it was trending as the first search result and now it's i think in the top three top four or something like that so i'm getting tons and tons of views wow. and instagram i'm doing a huge push i am working with someone who's developing an app for me for Rafe Derazi, the brand where it'll be a hub for all this HIV and fitness related content and possibly any products that I am going to sell in the future. Like I'd love to develop a fitness apparel line, stuff like that. I want to work with LGBT and HIV AIDS organizations. I'd love to, to tour and do public speaking. There's a gentleman who, uh, is like a two-time Emmy winning screenplay writer who is very interested in my story and would love to develop a Ted talk. So that would be a really cool way to gain exposure and get that message out Mm -hmm. and possibly working with a magazine um, as a contributor, just the sky's the limit right now. Yeah. Lots of opportunities out there for you. Well, uh, and where can people find you online? What's your Instagram handle or your, YouTube. Instagram is my name, Rafe Derazi, R-A-I-F-D-E-R-R-A-Z-I. Also, same thing on YouTube and Facebook as well. And I have links to all my social media through those. So and I'll once link you it. get one of those. I'll link it in, yeah. the, in the podcast information. Uh, awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today on The Road Less Traveled. I am so inspired by your story. I hope that other people will listen to it and be inspired um, to improve their situation as well. And I, you're so welcome. Thank you for having me, Heather. Yeah. I wish you the best of luck. And (laughs) I really do believe the sky is the limit for you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Okay. You too. Bye.